Well, I asked in the first service, so I'm curious to see in the second service, how many of you yesterday afternoon at about 5.40 were sitting on the edge of your couch in suspense? Oh, I see, I see even some older ladies waving their hand at me. If none of you know what I'm talking about, yesterday at about 5.45, my whole family was sitting on the edge of the couch, and at about 5.45, Jose Altador scored a goal for TFC that allowed Toronto to win the Major League Soccer Championship. And let me tell you, it was crazy in my living room. I was here for the first half studying, and I kept checking my phone, and I thought, okay, i got to go home to watch the second half. And we were all sitting there on the edge of our seat, and when they scored that goal, the noise in our little living room was ridiculous. And uh, it was so loud, and I was so stressed about today that I ended up saying, guys, quiet down. But they were so excited to testify what had just happened. They were celebrating. I'm sure our neighbors knew something was going on in our home. And my oldest son, he had his phone up because his buddy was at another friend's house, and they didn't have it on TV. So the last five minutes, my son's standing there with a phone recording our TV so that his buddy can get it. I have no clue how that works, but that's what he was doing. So it was an exciting day for Toronto as they won the MLS Cup after last year losing in the shootout. And it got me thinking, man, I wish we were that excited to share the victory that we have in Jesus Christ with our neighbor, with our community. You know, isn't it incredible? Think about that. Standing there with a phone, recording it so that someone else can also experience the moment. Well, have you ever had that urge while you're watching a movie, or perhaps it's one of your favorite sitcom episodes, or perhaps you've PVR'd a sports game that you missed, and if you're here this morning and you PVR'd the MLS Cup yesterday, sorry, Toronto won 2-0, so forgive me for ruining your afternoon. But have you ever been in that situation where you're watching a movie and you just have that urge to want to fast forward to the end to see what is actually going to happen? What is the outcome going to be? Some of you may be readers, and perhaps as you're flipping through a book, you're tempted to just skip some chapters and to get to that last chapter, because you want to find out what really happens with this character, or how are they going to solve this mystery that I'm reading in this chapter? So if you're one of those type of people, and I see some of you smiling, then today is your day, because this morning we are actually going to skip ahead and go to a scene from the final stages of Christ's life while he was on earth. But the importance of doing that is because in this scene, we actually find some important meaning to the beginning of his life, his birth, that we celebrate at Christmas. In fact, this passage we're going to look at this morning usually is a passage we focus on during the Easter season. But for our purpose in answering the question in our Christmas series, Why the Royal Visit?, I think you'll agree with me that this passage is going to prove to be very helpful. So if you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to turn to John chapter 18, and we will begin reading in verse 28, and we will read through to verse 40. John chapter 18, beginning in verse 28, and there we will read the Apostle John's account of Jesus when he was on trial before Pilate, the Roman governor. And embedded in the transcript of this case we will discover a second reason for the royal visit. So if you have your Bibles open, let's go to verse 28 and follow along. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas, that's the high priest, to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, 
what charges are you bringing against this man? If we were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity you've given us to be together, to worship you, and to hear from you. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts from your word this morning. And I pray that you would transform our lives so that we will leave today with a better understanding of who we are and what we are to be doing. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Well, did you see it? It couldn't be more obvious, could it? Jesus himself in this passage gives us a second reason for his royal visit. In verse 37, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Last week we learned when we started this series that Jesus came to bring hope. This week we're going to look into the fact that Jesus also came to bring truth. Now in the day and times you and I live in, you know full well that if you were to strike up a conversation with someone at a coffee shop and ask them what is truth, you are sure to ignite some interesting and possibly even some heated conversations. Because the day and times we live in, truth has become so distorted and so misrepresented in the culture that we live. And as one author correctly said, the consequences of rejecting truth are ravaging our human society. The consequences of rejecting truth are ravaging our human society. 2,000 years after Pilate asked the most profound and eternally significant question, what is truth? Our world still breathes Pilate's cynicism. And the father of lies, Satan, has brainwashed and deceived much of our society into thinking that absolute truth doesn't matter. Or even further, absolute truth doesn't exist. Take, for instance, two quotes, one from an influential actor in our society and one from an influential physician, philosopher, and author as they describe truth. Truth has no path. Truth is living and therefore it is always changing. Second, there is no absolute truth. There is only your truth. There is no absolute truth. There is only your truth. That is the culture that we are living in. I'm going to give you a very helpful tip that I learned in my apologetics class. 
If you're having coffee with someone and they come back to you and say, there is no absolute truth, simply with gentleness and respect, ask them back, are you absolutely sure of that? And they will see that their argument is not legit. So this is why in this context that we live, it is so important that when it comes to truth, who we listen to is an issue of eternal significance. In the whole area of truth, who you and who I listen to is an issue of eternal significance. And really, there's only three options in determining truth. You're either, and I'm either going to listen to myself, we're going to listen to society and culture, or we're going to listen to God. You're either going to listen to yourself, society, or you're going to listen to God. But before we get into how to live in this distorted reality that we live in, let us biblically establish what truth is. Because after all, that is the second reason for the royal visit. Jesus came, he was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. So we need to understand what is truth so that we have that foundation and we're settled on it. I read an excellent article this week from the ministry Grace to You called What is Truth? Let me share with you what they say a simple definition of truth is that the Bible teaches. Truth is the self-expression of God. Truth is the self-expression of God. It is that which is consistent with the will, the mind, the character, the glory, and the being of God. It is that which is consistent with who God is. Truth flows from God. God is the reality. God has created and defined and rules over all truth. Therefore, God is the author. He is the source. He is the determiner. He is the governor, the arbiter. He is the ultimate and final judge of all truth. Truth is the self-expression of who God is. Therefore, we have to understand, when talking to someone about truth, it is impossible to make sense of truth without acknowledging God as the necessary starting point. And that is why it's so tough sometimes to have conversations with people that are not on the side of truth. And one of the things I always do with my unbelieving friends is I say, you need to understand the answer I'm going to give you, the truth you're asking me on this specific topic, I'm going to give you based on what the Bible says. Because then I'm not the one who's offending them. It is truth that is offending them. It is impossible to make sense of truth without acknowledging God as the necessary starting point. And in the trial that we read this morning, where Jesus is on trial before Pilate, we see three distinct ways people respond to truth that are still valid and relevant in our culture today. So we're going to take a look at three ways that people respond to truth out of this text. First of all, people will fight to eliminate truth when it does not line up with their personal agenda. People will fight to eliminate truth when it does not line up with their personal agenda. And we see this played out in the trial that we read this morning in the lives of the Jewish religious leaders. You see, they had one personal agenda. The agenda of the Jewish religious leaders was to eliminate Jesus, or in essence, truth from their lives. And this did not just start at this scene. If you go back and read about their ancestors, you will see in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says, The elders of Israel gathered together and came to God's prophet, who at that time was Samuel. And they said, Samuel, 
you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Listen carefully. Now, appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and prayed to the Lord. And listen to how the Lord responded. He said to Samuel, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. You see, at the core of their request was their personal agenda. Rather than being who God had chosen them to be, his people in a covenant relationship with him, they wanted a human king, just like the other nations around him. A king as a symbol of national power and unity, one that would lead them into battle and guarantee success. If you read the history of the Israelites in the pages of Scripture, God did exactly that for them. He rescued them from disasters and calamities. And yet, they said, no, appoint a king over us. So with that backdrop, with that agenda, move forward to the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, the prophet prophesies about Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, an occasion that took place only five days before the trial we are looking at this morning. And listen to what the prophet Zechariah says. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, having just looked at the type of king they were wanting, a powerful, strong, military king that would free them from living under the Roman oppression, is it any wonder when you read that prophecy, that in John 1.11, the scripture says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Why? Because the king, the promised Messiah, did not fit with their personal agenda. And as a result, their personal agenda had completely blinded them to the truth of who Jesus was. He was their promised Messiah. When we're reading that passage at the beginning, if you look at verse 28, where it says, then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. Did you see the irony in this? Here we have these self-righteous religious leaders bringing Jesus to the Roman governor, but yet they will not enter Pilate's very own palace. Why? For fear that they might become unclean. Because after all, they're in charge of leading some of the religious duties that are going to go on during the Passover festival. And for a Jew to come in contact with a Gentile or even to come in contact with some things within a Gentile's home would make them unclean. So you have these self-righteous Jewish leaders so concerned about remaining clean on the outside and yet inwardly they are colluding with their enemy to kill the Passover lamb. So ironic, so distorted. But before we are quick to judge these leaders, let's be very careful. Because you see, all of us have the potential to become so preoccupied with our own agenda, with our own personal wants, that we too are capable of making irrational and unwise decisions to eliminate anything that does not line up or gets in the way of what we want. People will fight the truth they will try to eliminate it if it gets in the way of their personal agenda. 
Look at the measures these religious leaders took to fight to eliminate the truth. We know that they wanted to kill Jesus. And in order to do that, they had to find evidence for a charge against him. So they thought, we will charge him with blasphemy. And we see that in chapter 19, verse 7, it says, he claimed to be the son of God. So they tried to put this charge on him of blasphemy, which according to the Jewish law did carry the death sentence. But scripture says there was no evidence. So then they brought him before their own high judicial court, the Sanhedrin, before the high priest Caiaphas, who interrogated our Savior through the whole night in hope that he would indict himself by saying something that was blasphemous. But they found no evidence. So then they took their fight to the next level, and they enlisted the help of the Roman governor Pilate. And knowing that the charge of blasphemy would not hold or stand in a Roman court of law, they justified their agenda to fight to eliminate Jesus on the next level by raising a concern in Pilate's mind that Jesus was actually a threat to the Roman Empire. And so they moved from blasphemy, no evidence. Okay, we're going to keep this fight going. We're going to move it to the charge of treason. In fact, if you read Luke's account of the same trial in Luke chapter 23, verse 2, it says, Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And listen, and they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. Doesn't all this political posturing, this collusion, concerns of national security, allegations, charges, does it not sound like the news that was on our TV even within the last week? It leaves us wondering some days, what in the world is going on? May I remind you this morning, as we'll see in the word that we're studying this morning, in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the political posturing and maneuvering and allegations and collusion, can we remind each other this morning of the truth that our God is sovereign and he is in control of all the affairs that are taking place on planet earth? How do I know that? Daniel 4 verse 17 declares, the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth. And listen to this and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. So in the midst of all the chaos in our world today, it's okay. God is in control. And in the midst of the hustle and the bustle of these religious leaders trying to press charges on Jesus, Jesus points to us in his word, God points to us in his word that I am in control Verse 32, read it with me. All these things have happened to fulfill what Jesus said about the kind of death he was going to die. You see, they brought him before Pilate. Treason is the charge. Pilate says to them, take him and judge him according to your own laws, to which they objected in verse 31. We have no right to execute anyone. And that is true. Because in those days, only the Roman governor had authority to carry out the death penalty. But listen, even if the Jews had decided to take the law into their own hands, as they did with Stephen, and killed Jesus by stoning him on charges of blasphemy, it would never have happened. 
Because in John chapter 12, verse 31 and 33, Jesus proclaimed the pre-planned way in which he would die. And it would be by crucifixion. So even if they had that personal agenda to do that and take the law into their own hands, it would not have happened because they are not in control. God is in control. And that's why in verse 32, in the midst of all the chaos, you have this verse that just says, this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. See, the Romans, not the Jews, had to put Jesus to death. Not because of the accusations brought against him, but because God was overruling the whole trial, the whole process. And like we learned last week, that Jesus' birth was pre-planned, so his death was pre-planned. He would be crucified, something the Jews could not carry out. So people will fight to eliminate truth when it does not line up with their personal agenda. And for a while, they may appear to be successful in that moment. But realize, the fight to eliminate truth is futile because it's sourced in God who has no beginning and no end. Therefore, truth is eternal. The second way people respond to truth we see in the life of Pilate. People will ignore truth under the weight of social pressure. First of all, we looked at people will fight truth to eliminate it if it does not line up with my agenda. Secondly, though, people will ignore truth under the weight of social pressure. You see, since the Roman authorities were in on the arrest of Jesus and Caiaphas, the high priest, had a lot of political savvy with Pilate, it is safe to presume that Pilate was aware of the charge of treason that these religious leaders were bringing against Jesus. And so, it is no surprise that in light of his position to govern over Judea, to make sure that it is safe and that there is peace and that it's secure for the Roman Empire, it is no surprise then why Pilate's first words to Jesus in verse 33 are, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responded to say, is that your own idea? See, Jesus wanted to understand, what is the motivation you are asking me that question? Because are you asking me simply from your position as a Roman governor? Do you want to know if I am a rebel and I'm a threat to your empire? Or, as Jesus said, did others, the Sanhedrin, the religious Jewish leaders, talk to you about me? Are you interested in what they are presenting? Or are you asking, from a Roman perspective, if I'm a rebel and I'm a threat to your empire. And Pilate's reply reveals what his motivation was in asking Jesus if he was the king of the Jews. He said in verse 35, am I a Jew? Pilate had no interest in the theological squabble that the Jewish leaders were having with who Jesus claimed he was. His reason for asking Jesus, are you the king of the Jews, had everything to do with Roman interests. And so Jesus responds to his question knowing his motivation. And what he does is he clarifies for Pilate what his kingdom is not. He says in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not like the ones you're familiar with, Pilate. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. 
He was explaining that his kingdom is not established on political and military power. His kingdom is from another place. We sang it this morning. King Jesus, heaven, come down. So Pilate, in understanding and listening to what Jesus is saying, he wants to press further to understand the nature of Jesus' kingship. And at the same time, possibly see if Jesus would say anything that he could charge him with. So he presses further in verse 37. You are a king then. Because you see, the title king, if that was the self-chosen label for Jesus, then that could be grounds for indictment. So after explaining what his kingdom is not, Pilate says, so you are a king then. And how does Jesus respond in verse 37? You say that I am a king. As one author put it, king is your word, Pilate, not mine. Conceding that this is the label applied to him, Jesus did not want to affirm the political meaning attached to the term. And so then he goes on to explain to Pilate what his kingdom is. It's not political. It's not military. It's not power. They would have fought to protect me from being arrested. It's not that. I'm not a rebel. I'm not a threat to your empire. Instead, it's a kingdom of truth. It's a kingdom of truth. And in verse 37, the reason for the royal visit, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate unamused and cynically says, What's, what is truth? I'm sure you talk to people and get the same reaction. Whatever, Calvin. What is truth? And with that, Pilate heads out to give his verdict to the Jews that were gathered there. After personally hearing from Jesus the truth, the facts about who he was, and concludes in verse 38, I find no basis for a charge against him, he heads out. And verse 39 starts with an interesting word, but. People will ignore the truth under the weight of social pressure. I want you to read your Bible, and I want you to follow me, and I want you to sense and feel, because we've all been there, when society around us has a personal agenda, we too sometimes, unfortunately, can be silent and ignore and not testify to the truth. Follow with me as we experience what Pilate was experiencing. Chapter 18, verse 39. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Then Pilate took Jesus, 19 verse 1, and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, king of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he said to Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. 
Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Who's in control of the whole process? God. Jesus answers in verse 11, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Now all of a sudden he has this crowd, this ruckus crowd building momentum. Now all of a sudden they are putting into Pilate's mind, if you don't do what we tell you to do, you won't have a job because we know that you want to please your bosses back in Rome. And so the tension is building. The social pressure is building. And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as Stone. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate said? We have no king but Caesar. Look how far they have gone in their fight to eliminate truth from their lives. Wow. Finally, verse 16, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. People will ignore truth under the weight of social pressure. We have all been in a similar situation. Occasions where in the normal course of life, the truth we have heard and know is opposite to everything that those around you are claiming. And in the tension of those moments, where the potential cost of testifying to the truth begins to weigh us down, sometimes we too remain silent. And in essence, ignore the truth under the weight of social pressure rather than testify it. I was speaking to a couple in our neighborhood yesterday, so great young couple, and I came around from work and I saw in their house a big sign that said, Jesus is the reason for the season. And I said to my kids, you know what? God bless them. I said, that is awesome. That they were willing to testify about who they are. And when I saw them yesterday, I said, I just want you to encourage you what a testimony that was to me. And what a testimony that was to my kids. And he said, Calvin, you have no clue, even within my own marriage, the discussions that went on, whether we should put that sign up or not. Because the weight of social pressure. And he says it's 50-50. People come by the house and swear. They cuss. People are, are threatening to do vandalism in our house. People, we will also sometimes ignore the truth under the weight of social pressure. May God help us. First of all, people respond to truth by fighting to eliminate it when it doesn't line up with their agenda. People will ignore the truth under the weight of social pressure. But finally, there's one more character in this trial that demonstrates for us that people will testify to the truth when listening to God. My neighbors in that neighborhood, they have testified to the truth because they are listening to God. And Jesus testified to the truth. He listened to God the Father. Throughout the Gospel of John, this idea of Jesus bearing testimony to what the Father had told him is frequent. If you go to chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. If you go to chapter 12, and verse 49, For I did not speak on my own, Jesus says, 
But the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. People will testify to the truth. You will testify. I will testify to the truth when we listen to God. You see, Christ's physical birth, his royal visit, points to the mission of your spiritual birth and my spiritual birth. And that is to testify to the truth. Christ's royal visit, his physical birth, points to the mission of your and my spiritual birth. And that is we are to testify to the truth. Look how in the book of John it's laid out. For the one who God has sent speaks the word of God. Then Jesus, who came to bring truth, says to his disciples in John 17, 18, when he's praying for them, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So as Jesus has obeyed the Father, now that Jesus is telling us, his disciples, what we are to do, and that's to listen to the Father. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, very familiar to all of us, right before Jesus' ascension, he says to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We will please God when we testify to the truth. We will fulfill the reason we were born again when we testify to the truth. As you know, as a church, we have been made aware and we've been praying for the legal case that is before the Supreme Court of Canada on behalf of Trinity Western University. I have a vested interest in it. I'm an alumni of Trinity. In fact, six members of my immediate family are all alumni of Trinity Western University. So we are following very closely. But yesterday, as I went for a walk in the morning and I was praying about that, I, in my head I had to think this thought based on, based on what I've read here, based on what God has said irregardless of what the Supreme Court of Canada decides, the disciples of Jesus Christ representing Trinity Western University have already won the case. Why? Because they have fulfilled the reason that they were born again, to testify to the truth. They've already won. In the high court that really matters, they have already won. God's plan may not be for Trinity Weston to have a law school. I pray it does, but it may not be. What if God's plan all along for last week was so that for 48 hours before the highest court in Canada, truth could be testified to those Supreme Court members? Sometimes we get so focused on winning the battle, we forget the purpose. It is not our battle to win. We are simply supposed to testify to the truth. And as I walked yesterday, I thought, wow, God, you are unbelievable. How could we ever get all those supreme people in one place and have the opportunity to declare and testify truth for 48 hours about your name and about the truth of how man and woman are supposed to live together and how we're supposed to handle our relationships. For 48 hours, you open the door. You orchestrate it because it's you who does it to allow your truth to be declared to the highest court in our country. We've already won because truth was testified to. Brothers and sisters, we are made alive in Christ to testify to the truth. That is the reason we have been born again. And everyone, Jesus said, on the side of truth listens to me.
But you see, the reality is there is only two sides. You're either on the side of truth or you're not. There's no middle ground. You're either on the side of truth or you're not. And those of us who are on the side of truth are on the side of truth not because of any good that we have within us. We are on the side of truth because of God's grace that at some moment in our life, he orchestrated an opportunity for us to hear the message of truth, the good news, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The verdict in this trial is not Pilate's verdict. It's God's verdict. God knew his son had to die so that you and I would not have to perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father but through Him. So if you're here this morning, and you're living your life just pursuing your agenda, you're determining truth based only on what you think or what society thinks, Please understand, God has orchestrated this opportunity for you to be here this morning, to hear the truth, that you can know this king personally. You can know him. Jesus said, those who know me, they listen to me. I know them, and they follow me. Jesus' invitation to you this morning is stop listening to yourself. Stop listening to what society says is truth. I came to reveal what is true. And this morning, you too can listen to Jesus. You too can know him. And you too can follow him. You can become a follower of Jesus Christ and move from being not on the side of truth to being on the side of truth. The scripture tells me by declaring with your mouth, testify that Jesus is Lord and that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. So this Christmas, why don't you receive God's gift to you, Jesus, the truth as your personal Lord and Savior. For those of us who are on the side of truth by God's grace, are we fulfilling the reason for our spiritual birth? Are we testifying to the truth Or are we fighting God's truth on areas in our lives where it gets in the way? Are we fighting to eliminate God's truth on areas in our lives that affect our personal agenda? Are we ignoring God's truth because we understand that listening to him and following him is not going to be socially popular? Jesus came to bring truth. How are you responding to it? How am I responding to it? Are you fighting it? Are you ignoring it? Or are you testifying to it? There's been a lot of talk recently south of the border related to a certain sport about what loyalty and allegiance looks like to a flag or to an anthem. And quite frankly, I'm sure people are fed up with hearing the discussion. But yesterday, you know what I thought? At least they are talking about what loyalty and allegiance should look like. I believe that amongst those 
of us who by God's grace are on the side of truth, we need to be talking with each other way more about what loyalty to Jesus looks like, about what allegiance to our king looks like in the way that we live. In the day and times we live in where truth is so distorted and misrepresented, we need to be spurring one another on to fulfilling the reason of our spiritual birth, and that is to testify to the truth. If you're on the side of truth, we do have a king. His name is Jesus. And he has a kingdom. And if he has granted you by his grace to be part of his kingdom, a citizen of his kingdom, you know the many privileges that we have of citizens of his kingdom. But may we never forget that there are also great responsibilities. And one of those is the reason he came. And he expects us now to do the same. Testify to the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to us this morning. Jesus, thank you for coming and modeling what it means to fulfill the purpose for why you were born, and that was to testify to truth. Thank you for helping us to understand the important significance that we have in fulfilling our role as children that you have born again, and that is to testify to the truth. Oh God, help us not to fight you on it. Help us not to ignore, but help us to be obedient and to testify to what we have heard, to who we know, and who we follow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Why the royal visit? He was born and came to this world to testify to truth. Jesus, we have celebrated this morning, fulfilled his mission for his earthly, physical birth. Why have we been born again? For the same mission, to testify to truth. And in order for us to fulfill that, we must together not fight God on his truth, not ignore his truth, but testify to his truth. As we were having communion, I just felt impressed on my heart to close in prayer by praying for the Supreme Court, not for the case, but for the souls. We read in Daniel this morning, God will do what he wishes to do. He's not interested in winning cases. He's interested in winning souls. And as a congregation, I ask you to stand, and together we are going to pray that he would be gracious and merciful and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf to the truth that he orchestrated those individuals would hear. Father, thank you so much for what you've taught us this morning from your word. We are so humbled. It is so true. Your grace is so marvelous. Forgive us, Lord, when we do not testify with mouth and with actions to the reality of how incredible your grace is in our lives. And this morning we bring before you those that you know. You created them in their mother's womb. You know the hairs on their head. God, we pray for the individuals on our Supreme Court that you would be gracious and merciful to them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word about the message of Jesus Christ. And God, you made it possible for 48 hours for them to hear the truth. And so God, we just lift them up to you. More important than the case, Lord, is that people will hear you, will come to know you, and follow you. 
Please be gracious and merciful. Draw them into a personal relationship with yourself. You've been so good to us. Now, Lord, help us to go and be faithful as you were faithful. Now, to the eternal king, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, and we'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock.